Hi everyone! Left to our own devices, the conference may be over, but you can still watch the recording at cybellum.com conference. Tune in to listen to FDA updates from FDA executives themselves, learn about AI in automotive from NVIDIA, the AI leader, and listen to product security leaders from Philips, Honeywell, CISA, and more. Go to cybellum.com conference and watch the recording for free. See you at the next event! Hi, this is David. And this is Shlomi. And you've tuned into Left to Our Own Devices, the product security podcast. So our guest today is uh, Katie Boswell, uh, Managing Director, Cybersecurity Services at KPMG. Katie has been a cybersecurity services leader in energy and life sciences for a while now, which puts her in on the front lines of, of securing the most critical national infrastructure. She spent the past 20 years in this field and partners with clients to transform and champion their cybersecurity strategy and reinforce the security and resiliency of their systems and infrastructure. Katie is also one of the leading voices in the world of AI security, and she's here to shed some light on this fascinating topic. So Katie, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here today. Love the podcast. It's an honor. We are really excited to have you. Let's start with a personal question. Can you share with us how you made your way from being an IT manager and system administrator to being an executive in KPMG cybersecurity practice? Well, it's still pretty crazy to hear myself referred to as an executive. Um, I definitely don't have like a traditional big four journey. I found my way into consulting through identity and access management, and I loved it. It feeds my curiosity and my my love of connecting with people. Well, that's really Great. interesting. We've heard that actually from other people as well, that they didn't start out, you know, like with the mindset of, I've just finished college or university, and I'm now going into cybersecurity. But somebody actually helped them, you know, to put them into into that direction. My mom actually played a huge role in this. So thanks, at, mom. After, <laughs> yeah, exactly. She 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 is very proud of it too. Uh, but I like she, my mom was a waitress growing up, so that she could be at home with us during the day. She was like, I don't know how to turn on a computer, and so she in you know, I mean, I guess she must have been in her 40s. She like reinvented herself, you know, and she went to a technical school. And then when I got to college and I was basically bored, uh, I hate to say that because I'm not discrediting the, the, the college or university journey, but it was me and where I was at in my place in life. And I was bored. And she was like, well, Katie, you've already taught yourself so much. Look at what this school has taught me. And so I ended up going to technical school. I tested out of like, half the program. And I was an IT manager in Manhattan by the time I was 19. Wow. Oh, wow. And all because of her, right? And then her <laughs> like spot, right? To like, you know, be like, oh, I'm, you know, I know nothing. I can't even turn a computer on. And she went on to manage the, the like network and systems of our local school district, which was really cool. Wow. Amazing. So, so when I finished university, I was offered a junior COBOL programmer position at one of the investment banks. And I was also offered a position in the network operations group at Solomon Brothers, which at the time was you know, the firm on Wall Street. 
And they told me I could get involved in security also. And I had no idea what that meant. And that was way, <laughs> way, way before we, you know, they, they coined the term cybersecurity. So, yeah. yeah. So that, that was a long that. time ago. <laughs> that was really good, you know, and it, it was really interesting because in uh, an investment bank like that, the, the money that goes across the lines, you know, we're talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars at risk. And if, uh, something is hacked on the network, it shuts down all of the operations of the organization and it could potentially cause them to lose so much money. So really incredible. Yeah, really it's incredible. amazing. So now I'm on the side of, uh, you know, the help, trying to help prevent that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you're focusing a lot of your effort these days on uh, AI security. Uh, in getting into the field of AI security, what was the process like? And did you have any previous knowledge, any background in AI, or did you need to learn this from ground up? Yeah, well, I guess that's the benefit of being in a consulting firm is there are a lot of opportunities, you know, working with, I get to work with different clients. I get to, you know, kind of get get my hands into different services uh, being able to expand skill sets into different areas of interest, which I think is is unique, right? You're not sort of pigeonholed in one in one domain. And I had formerly been our our cyber COO, which was just a fancy way of saying I was like respond I was responsible for all these operational aspects of our business. But through that, I learned hands on how to run a consulting business. So as the need and the questions were growing from our clients around AI security, our leadership team was looking for somebody who could really step up and stand up a new service, you know, which is more than just knowing about AI security. So I, I knew the business piece of it. And I think it's just my love of technology and that that curiosity a holdover from my teenage years, right? That like, you know, drove me to be like, you know what, I'm I'm gonna really dig in here and I'm really going to, you know, really understand the domain. And I pulled in a group of professionals, all of which were at, you know, different points of, on their journey of learning about AI security. And we all just jumped in it together. Um, and so it's been uh, you know, it, it's been a lot of fun actually to do this and I've been enjoying it so far. But you know, it's it's evolving, right? Incredible. There's been a lot of buzz around AI recently. What are some of the most pressing security concerns related to AI and machine learning? And what steps can organizations take to mitigate these risks? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the buzz around AI has been huge. It's super, super useful, right? I think technologically, it's going to change the way we operate day to day in a way that we haven't seen before, you know, because, uh, Everybody has access to it. And we've seen the risks around that. Just recently, there was you know, some news about Samsung and some loss of their IP because people had access to the technology that they, they didn't yet understand. And so the reality is that organizations are using AIs in ways that affect large numbers of people. And that's not new, right? So like the chat, the, the chatter and the noise around chat GPT is new, but organizations that are really important to huge numbers of people have been using AI in critical ways for some time, right? Things like precision medicine and support of critical infrastructure, you know, all that sort of it's been happening behind, behind the scenes, right? And so in terms of mitigating risk, those organizations need to really, I think really they need to understand their AI ecosystem. Right. And so you, the data scientists need to be working collaboratively with security. Security needs to understand the overall AI lifecycle, 
you know, how AI models work and that those conversations are only really just starting to happen in some organizations, especially those who are newer into getting in front of or, get, or getting involved with AI. So in terms of what organizations can do, my recommendation is that organizations need to define a framework very specific to their needs, right? So their industry, their ecosystem, the tools that they have in play. And that also means understanding what's out there in terms of knowledge. NIST, for instance, has the AI risk management framework. MITRE has an Atlas knowledge base. Those tools are really powerful. And when they're applied thoughtfully, I think that that's going to make a big difference. So that's really interesting. And, you know, a lot of times what we're seeing in the market, specifically in the area of product security and device security, is that manufacturers are way far from being up to speed on how to, you know, understand what they actually have inside of their systems. Now, we had spoken to the CEO of a robotics company earlier in the podcast, <laughs> the life of the podcast, when we think about adding AI into the equation, so this is something that's going to actually update systems on the fly. You know, it can do it also post-market. So, I mean, the challenges are amazing. And, and I guess when, when I think about those challenges and, you know, the fact that now we have the regulatory bodies like the EU proposing legislation around the development and deployment of AI systems, you know, how, how do you see teams um, beginning to prepare, you know, to meet these uh, incoming requirements? Yeah, the, the EU is definitely ahead of us in many ways, right? There are really hefty fines on the table. Um, so, you know, even organizations who don't have an EU presence need, need to be aware the U.S. is going to be close to follow. Just this week, the Biden administration took its first steps into you know, putting or setting guardrails relative to AI. Uh, so they, they, you know, requesting comment around AI. Basically, they're looking to ensure that the AI systems that you were just talking about can be trusted. And so we saw the U.S. government set the stage for this recently in the blueprint for AI Bill of Rights. But all of these regulations, right, and, we're, and I think, and I'm, and I'm calling out the U.S. because I think that, you know, that the EU is a little further ahead the U.S. is following behind, I think, asking questions because they don't have a very clear understanding, right, as to where they need to begin in basically establishing trust in AI systems. And so, so the, like the sands are shifting beneath us every day, right? We're seeing the news, we're seeing, you know, different use cases. I've been talking to a lot of CISOs um, uh, in both, you know, U.S. focused and global organizations who who are trying to give thought to what these regulations are going to mean for them, I think it's still a little bit unclear. But what is clear is it's going to require a lot of vigilance on behalf of security professionals. You know, there are a lot of tangential systems that are involved in AI security, and so it's really a combination of understanding how are you using AI models. What happens with them after they go into production? You know, uh, and, and what are, what is the security that you're relying on for that? Right. Interesting. Right. It definitely feels that way. It's 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 almost like uh, AI was around for a while, and now with ChatGPT and all of that, sort of moved away from the from being the the in the innovator side to the to the mass market side in a way. And now everyone is talking about it, and everyone is uh, part of it. 
so I have a question about how uh, organizations uh, implement secure AI. H- how do you think companies can implement secure AI development practices to prevent vulnerabilities from being introduced into the AI systems during the development process? Well, first, I think we need to acknowledge that AI development needs uh, to consider not just security, but overall responsible AI, like ensuring uh, the bias is not introduced into our AI. But uh, honestly, that's probably a whole different podcast. So uh, I'll, try, I'll try to focus on the security aspects of it. Well, I think that organizations need to recognize that secure design processes need to be implemented early on. So things like identifying if a model will require sensitive data and then where that data is going to to reside, both while in development as well as in production. Uh, And then understanding the tangential security concerns, the privacy, identity and access management, information protection, all of that needs to be taken into consideration to have a robust AI ecosystem. And so awareness is key. Uh, security teams need to be involved and they need to understand the AI life cycle. And that will enable them to inform and provide recommendations to data scientists that will really go a long way to ensuring that you know, data and AI models stay secure. Interesting. And, and do you see this mostly in, in systems or also that we're going to be seeing it, you know, for example, in devices, robotics, you know, things like that? We're going to see it everywhere. I've been part of putting together an AI summit via the GRF. And because of that, we're putting together practitioner guides and CISO guides that are really going, they're they're really at the forefront of this thinking. And the use cases that we've been digging into while talking to the data scientists and the security leaders, they're really interesting. Uh, And I think we're going to learn a lot more in the near future about how organizations are working with AI. And, you know, the the, the chatter around chat GPT, I think, will seem like nothing, right, compared to some of the bigger ways that organizations are using it. Um, There are definitely OT implications of AI, for sure. And we all know that OT OT systems in in and of themselves are very challenging, you know, in the in the U.S., we have NERC SIP regulations relative to uh, utility organizations. At the same time, where you see what we call grid modernization programs, where we're thinking about how to move energy, right, and and how to and and efficiency, it has ties into ESG campaigns. And so, I, I you know, I I truly think that it's it's everywhere, and it's not specific to even one industry. Yeah, I agree. And I think Chat GPT, what it's done is it's it's just brought it into the mainstream. You know, when when little kids are using it in order to do their homework and, and adults are using it to do their coding <laughs> and it's just there for everyone to to work on it, it it kind of shows the strength that's out there and it and it gets people really thinking. And um, you know, what 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 you said earlier, you know, it it's just something that was almost like hidden on the side for the practitioners and it wasn't in the mainstream. And now I saw a mapping yesterday of a vendor mapping. And I think there were like, I don't know, 700 vendors packed into this one little mapping. And that was, that was like nothing, <laughs> you know, that's, it's, it's just a small amount of, uh, you know, what actually exists out there and the number of companies that are working on different types of AI solutions. It's incredible, really. And, and we'll see the big names, right, that have been working on solutions. I mean, Microsoft Copilot is one that recently has had a lot yep. of news. Like, 
you know, back to sort of my earlier point, like it will truly change the way we work day to day. You know, I think there's also an inherent fear around generative AI that it's going to remove jobs. I don't think that that's true. I think that it's going to augment jobs and and make and and really be tools that will will be in our professional right enablers of jobs, not not causing the removal of them. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I saw someone who wrote about it and said AI won't replace you. A, a person who knows how to use AI probably will. And and that's definitely where where we're headed, right? It's it's just a, a force multiplier like nothing we ever seen before. And um, the people who who could equip it to to their purposes will eventually win. Yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely. So, you know, the fact that we are security professionals, right? The last thing development people really like to see are security professionals because we get in their way, and they they you know they blame us for you know, their products being late to market and, and all. So from your perspective, how can security organizations keep pace without getting in the way of rapid innovation happening within the AI teams? David, I love this question because innovation for most of us, that's why we're, that's why we're in technology, right? And bad actors aren't going to stop innovating while we're trying to get our, our arms around a problem, right? So we can't stop innovating. In terms, in terms of what organizations can do, they need to really understand their AI models. There are vendors that are thinking about this problem. So KPMG recently sprung out a product called Cranium. Uh, this is not a shameless plug for the product. I don't get any endorsement or anything from that. You, know, uh, you can plug them. away. It's perfectly okay. <laughs> I saw it, by the way. Well, it looks really interesting. Really interesting. Yeah, so it's it's tools like Cranium that are going to give organizations like real-time visibility into what's happening with their AI models, as well as providing the accreditation of their security. And so I think that 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 is really going to help people, right? Because that's going to be the the peace of mind, you know, that's going to be the um, the certificate that they display to their their customers, right? And it's the real-time view in the background about what's happening with their AI models that I think will allow us to to move at pace. And again, like we're we're just catching up with how we're going to govern and maintain AI. Um, in the face of these, you know, um, new and evolving risks. So I think I think tools like that one are going to be really helpful. Right. Going back to a personal question that I'm really curious about, uh, and we usually ask our, our guests is, uh, what was the most incredible or unbelievable moment you had in your career so far? Well, I would say it's not a good one, but it led to good things. <laughs> so early on in my consulting career, I was told that I wouldn't be successful because I was a mother. And I had to work really hard to be a mother. And my daughter is adopted. It was a very long process for me. I had struggled with uterine cancer and all of this. So like I worked really hard to become a mother. So, you know, then I was faced with this, this person, you know, above me in the chain of command, so to speak, telling me this. And I knew that they were wrong, right? I mean, that that never, that never, like I never considered that that person might be correct in that statement, but it really like was a reality check about the struggles that women were still facing, right? It blew my mind that this was something that I would be faced with, you know, and, and while it was a number of years ago now, 
it really fueled my desire to make sure that other women didn't have that same experience. And so now I lead our women in cyber community within KPMG. I'm supported by a team of really amazing women who bring all of their diverse perspectives to enable the success and development of women in security. And I've had a lot of great support from allies within the firm as well. Incredible. This look on your face, David, is great, by the way. Yeah, you know why? Because um, so I think it was 2005, and I had a woman come in for an interview for a product marketing position that I had available. And we went through all of her qualifications and everything. And then she said, look, I just want to tell you up front that for the last two years, I've been trying to get pregnant. And I just wanted to be upfront with you that hopefully, you know, it'll happen one of these days. And I said to her, I wish you all of the best and I really hope you succeed. And how soon can you start? And she was like flabbergasted. She said, wow, <laughs> you know, that's amazing. So I'm, I'm really find it terrible that, you know, that you can, we, we still in this day and age have people who react to things like that and, and don't believe that people can be working mothers, that people can be working fathers, you know, and I think the responsibility needs to be shared. My wife and I both work, Shlomi and his wife both work, and it, there's no reason that, you know, each one shouldn't put in their due and, and make sure that each one has the opportunity to have their career succeed. So, you know, it's, it's really great to hear that, uh, that you succeeded to overcome that and, and look where it's taken you to, you know, to such a great position uh, in KPMG. So it's really great to hear. Not, not sure my wife would agree that I work, but besides that, everything you said is uh, <laughs> completely right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell you one more thing. I'll put in a plug now. I'm the chairman of the Israeli Friends of the Jerusalem College of Technology, and we have over 20% of the women who learn computer science and also uh, we have a cybersecurity program, they learn in our college uh, out of all the women who learn computer science in Israel. So I'm doing my share for Femtech and that's why it's really close to my heart and, uh, and you know, we'll definitely continue to push that. <laughs> oh, I absolutely love that. That makes my, my heart happy. Um, that, that's awesome. So on that note, <laughs> um, as the leader of KPMG's Women in Cybersecurity community and as a role model for women seeking to break into the cyber world, what advice would you offer them on how to get into the cyber world you know, and to invest in their careers? Get connected, grow your network. All of the opportunities that were presented to me were because I had a network of people willing to bring me in and I wasn't afraid to take on new challenges. And, you know, I think a lot of times women in particular are more apt to tell themselves that they're not qualified to do something. And so I really encourage women to take a look at, you know, their overall accomplishments. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, but there have been studies done that, you know, when women look at a job posting, they have to be able to sort of check 100% of those boxes in order to even just put their resume forward. That's not true statistically for men. And so again, I, I totally encourage women to stretch, you know, set stretch goals, put themselves out of their comfort zone, but above all, just don't be afraid to say, Hey, I'm interested in that. I want to give it a try. Right. Uh, and again, the growing the network is really important to that. That's really great. And we, we've actually heard that from others as well. 
In fact, um, Dr. Suzanne Schwartz from the FDA was on an earlier episode, and she said very similar things that uh, I don't want to say it's, you know, it's a matter of women sticking together because it's not. It's networking also with women in, in industry and also, you know, with uh, men who also see the value. And and I think, men, I think I really believe that and maybe, maybe I'm naive, but I really believe that we're getting better at it and that, you know, things are changing in industry and that they will continue to change. Yeah, I definitely think that they're changing, but the reality is that women still make up a pretty small percentage comparatively of the, you know, overall security population. You know, it's probably I don't have statistics in front of me, but it's probably a quarter of security professionals yep. are are women, and that means that, you know, when when women walk into a room, they're likely to be one of the only women there. Um, right. and so I think to your point, it's not necessarily about women sticking together. But I think it's about really thinking about how we purposefully give women the opportunity to show up in a way that's comfortable for them. Because I got to tell you, it's not right. Like when I walk into a room and, you know, it's a bunch of guys talking about, you know, football or, you know, whatever. It's not that I can't follow along, but it's not necessarily a very welcoming conversation. Um, mm. And so I think when we think about how, you know, how, how can we be inclusive it, it requires thought because probably one woman in the room, right? Uh, and yep. and you know, it's it's not so much the like you know people still ask me to get them coffee, right? That was something I used to hear, you know, in my in my younger days. Like I, I do think we've progressed. I just think we need to continue the progression, and that requires being thoughtful. And to do that, you know, women need to feel empowered. They need to have networks of other women and male allies who are going to bring them in and, and let them show up in a way that that's comfortable for them. Absolutely. Well, well, on that note, a very strong note, and um, and we're happy to help to get the message out. We want to thank you for being with us today. It's been really, really informative. Um, I've learned a lot, and uh, I think you have an incredible story. And we wish you tremendous success, you know, going forward. And I'm sure you will succeed. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Was when you when you reached out to me, uh, I think my my face probably lit up. I wish you could have seen it, right? Because I was, uh, you know, I've, I've followed the podcast. You know, I, I know you guys via social media and whatnot. And so to have the opportunity to share what's going on with me and my personal career, I just want to take a moment to say it really means a lot to me, and I appreciate it. Great, thank you. Left to our own devices is brought to you by Cybellum. To learn more, visit cybellum.com.